0: Hello, and welcome to this week's Key Voices, conversations with folk in and around education. I'm Caroline Doherty. This week, we're talking about equality, diversity, and inclusion amongst Academy Trust CEOs. This is a report that Forum Strategy released um, a month or so ago, and we're talking to Alice Gregson, who is Chief Chief Operating Officer at Forum Strategy, and Nav Sangara, CEO of the Woodland Academy Trust who was involved in the steering group around this work. Really interesting conversation with Alice and Nav, and I hope it it fires you up. It gives you hope about some of the things that are slowly improving and how if we are going to make an appreciable difference at all levels of school leadership, we all need to participate in this work. Really grateful to NAB for sharing some of her experiences and talking so passionately about the importance of inclusion and I really found this conversation, really getting to grips with this feeling of diversity without inclusion is, is pretty meaningless. Um, So lots to reflect on, lots to think about. I hope you find it interesting and useful. As ever, the podcast is an opportunity to open up debate and discussion around topics. The views my guests and I are about to express are not the view of the key. For in-depth, authoritative articles on the latest issues in education, check out thekeysupport.com. Hello, today I am joined by Nav Sangara, CEO of the Woodland Academy Trust, and Alice Gregson, who is Chief Operating Officer at Forum Strategy. Hello, Nav.
1: Hi there, Caroline.
0: Hi, nice to have you with us. And hello, Alice. Hi, Caroline. Thanks for having us. So we are talking about the, the work that F- Forum Strategy did in, in partnership with others to look at equality, diversity and inclusion among Academy Trust CEOs. But before we dive into that, could you both just introduce yourselves and tell listeners um, a bit about your careers and backgrounds? So Nav, over to you.
1: Um, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Nav and I'm Currently, CEO. I took on the post of CEO in January this year. So, midway through the pandemic, which is a podcast for another day. <laughs> um, my career, I kind of haven't left school really. Um, I left school for a little while um, and went to university and, and had a bit of a gap and then became a teaching assistant. And after that, the rest was history. So, my career's kind of spanned, I think, about 15 years now. And I've pretty much done various. Um, roles and responsibilities across the primary sector um, from head teacher to executive head and then obviously more recently CEO.
0: Great stuff and as you said yeah a podcast for another day taking over a trust in the middle of the pandemic sounds very interesting and Alice over to you. Morning,
2: everyone. Um, Alice Gregson, as Caroline said earlier, I joined uh, Forum Strategy, which is a membership organisation for CEOs, COOs and ed- education executives uh, within Academy Trusts. And I joined about nine months ago now, and it's, it's just been a fantastic journey coming back into education and being able to work with all the fantastic leaders that that make up the education sector. Uh, Prior to that, I was working for around five years in the police force, um, working at the College of Policing, which looks across all of the police forces, uh, mostly working on recruitment and leadership development issues. And prior to that, I was working on the civil service fast stream um, as part of central government, looking to develop uh, future leaders as well. And actually, prior to that, I was in education, um, which was one of the reasons I came back. I worked at the National College for School Leadership at that time, uh, which was just fantastic. So it's great to be back in education and uh, working with all the fantastic leaders here.
0: Lovely and um, great to hear that you've got such a broad range of experience across other kind of public sector uh, organisations as well to kind of bring, bring that lens into the, this important conversation about diversity and equality and inclusion in education. So Alice, can you just start by telling us why the team at Forum Strategy decided to, to do this research uh, and how it was conducted?
2: Yes, of course. So um, forum strategy has quite a strong track record, I would say, in identifying and picking up quite important strategic priorities for the sector. Uh, Working on issues uh, we are hearing of of vital importance to education, to the wider communities and to pupils as well. Um, Equality, diversity and inclusion, uh, alongside other key issues such as environmental sustainability, are clearly really important to people. Um, so we feel we had a duty as a sector to do more at all levels. Um, so there is a good and growing body of research, I think it's fair to say, into diversity in the wider school workforce, but nothing at all on the diversity at CEO levels in multi-academy trusts, which is really quite odd when we consider the pivotal and really visible leadership role that CEOs play across education. So the specific focus here was on the education, the leadership level, um, quite simply because it's where a huge gap exists and it's also where we as a company have quite an opportunity to influence. So we um, commissioned Public First um, as leaders in public policy and research work to undertake the work with us. Uh, We undertook a national poll of serving and aspiring CEOs, we ran multiple focus groups, and we undertook an extensive literature review as well. And all of this fed into the report, which is publicly accessible to all via the Forum Strategy website, um, if you look within the resources section.
0: Lovely. And we'll we'll pop a link to that in the um the notes for the podcast as as well. Um thank you for for explaining more about that. And Nav, you, you got involved as part of the steering group. Can you tell me about what, what kind of prompted you um to do that?
1: Yes, I suppose um firstly, you know, I was aware that I was a relatively new CEO to the sector. Um and upon being appointed. And um, friends and family and other colleagues did, did kind of ask sometimes um, how many other female CEOs are there? Are there any that are from, um, you know, backgrounds that are similar to yours? And I actually didn't know. And I remember trying to Google it a few times and got as far as kind of finding some national data on head teachers um, and school leaders, which I think is actually cited in the report that um, Alice cited but actually nothing on CEOs and it did make me think actually the role is so influential and potentially powerful in the impact it plays um across communities how comes there's nothing out there so yeah when Alice um made contact with me I was keen keen to be involved and just see see it as a kind of beginning piece of work and also yeah, just I suppose representation is really important to me, and the fact that you couldn't even find the data just seemed, um yeah, really kind of extraordinary. So I was glad that Forum Strategy were picking this up and wanted to begin some work on it, and, and that they asked me to be involved.
0: Yeah, and it... It's interesting, isn't it? As you you, you both made the point, um, the CEO role is so is so visible, um, and um, you know growing you know importance in the in the sector as as more schools become part of of trusts. Um, but but also, I guess um, relative to um, other roles in education, is is still quite quite new. And in in and in some trusts, the the sort of um, first person to be ceo is still is still the ceo of of that trust so it does seem like an interesting time to have this conversation and think about what kind of markers we're we're laying down for the future if that cohort of people who are in seat is not very diverse um Great. Well, just moving on to the, the, the report um, in a bit more detail. Um, Alice, can you maybe kind of sum up what, what you what you found out when you kind of dug into um, equality, diversity and inclusion among Academy Trust CEOs?
2: Yes, of course. As you can imagine, there's quite a lot in there because it's quite an extensive report, but I'll, I'll just take a couple of minutes to try and summarize what I think we're with the main ones. Um, I think it's important to start with some of the more positive uh, or optimistic findings. So 70% of those responding to the survey believed in the importance of having leadership teams that reflect the communities they serve. And that's actually really important as half the battle can be in helping people to really understand why this is really a must have for effective leadership. So that was quite positive. Um, the other finding we had um, that we could be sort of, I'll explain it as cautious, cautiously optimistic, was the gender picture. Um, we are seeing some progress in the three regions we explored. There was between about 40 to 46% female CEOs. Um, but as Nav rightly said earlier, although you know that that's a fairly decent picture to begin with, it's nowhere near full representation. So I think it's an important starting point. Um, And also, if we do compare that against other sectors, um, looking at Green Park's findings earlier this year, um, there are only 12% of the top roles that go to women. Um, So I think we can um, probably say this is a finding that suggests there's more work to do, but that we are at least starting at a good point. Um, The other thing as well is that people are saying that it feels as though things are starting to improve within education. Um, Over 60% agreed that career prospects for people like me in the education sector have improved in the last decade. And that included leaders who do identify with protected characteristics. Um, So I think just important to start with something optimistic because sometimes when you do these things, it can be all about the things that are wrong without starting from, you know, a strong point of, of positivity. Um, I can go through some of the things as well, Caroline, that, that were more challenging. Um, Before we if...
0: do yeah. maybe um, go into the, some of the more challenging aspects, maybe we could just pick apart um, a couple of the things that you've, you've said there. Firstly, maybe just explain to the for the audience, uh, in case anyone isn't aware of what the protected characteristics are.
2: Yes. Yeah, so, so for our purposes, for for this this report, we use the Equality and Human Rights Commission um, descriptions because that is really the most kind of nationally consistent uh, descriptions that we've got. And rather than me reel them all off, because there's 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 nine effectively that that we cover. Um, it might be useful for people to just Google that and have a look at the Equality and Human Rights Commission description of the protected characteristics. But important for us that we covered all of them and not just focused on one or two.
0: And exactly, and and um, that covers some of them. The less visible. Um, Characteristics there as as yeah. well, um, obviously great. And then also that picture around diversity um, it, in education. Um, we know a lot of the teaching workforce is is female. So kind of proportionately, what what would should what could we be aiming at in terms of getting representative um, number of, of of women in those senior leadership roles.
2: Yes, good good question, Caroline. So so normally when we talk about representation, uh, we talk about um, those communities being representative of the communities from which they're drawn. So in this case, we do still have a situation where the majority of CEOs do come from the teaching population as you as you rightly allude to there. Now if we look at the current picture around that, it's it's over seventy percent female. So when you look at the gap, that's quite, still quite significant. And I think that's a really important point we, we can't hide from and something we absolutely must do more from. So you know, whilst we can look at other sectors and say we're doing pretty well, when we look within our own sector, there's clearly a lot of challenges still to face.
0: Thank you for for clarifying that. And just before again, we move on to those more challenging aspects. Now, those those sort of reasons to be um, optimistic or cautiously optimistic, do they do they resonate with with you and your own experiences?
1: It, I think there's still work to do, and I think, I suppose I've, you know, prior to being CEO, I worked very much in one organisation um, for the majority of my suppose my leadership career
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i suppose being a leader in in that context meant that i had quite a lot of influence on the leadership teams across the trust and the some of the recruitment processes and how we were nurturing and growing talent so i think that was perhaps my experience and journey has been slightly different when i look more widely or even when you know, I remember my first head teacher conference. that I went to um, a national one and it was in, in Birmingham many years ago now, actually, probably 20, 2011, 2012, around that time. And I, rem- I remember walking into the room and it was the first time it probably just struck me. There is nobody in this room that looks like me or that I feel it, it was really hard to navigate where I connect and that sense of belonging and how you, you know, how you find a place where you kind of fit. And I think that that, there's quite a lot um, of of research around the inclusion and belonging aspect, which which interests me also. Um, Also, I suppose the other bit is the thinking about the leadership in terms of the boards, which we'll come on to as well, because if you think about that, the boards are responsible for appointing the CEOs that will often say quite a bit in terms of the culture values ethos um from a board perspective and what they are looking for in terms of the leaders and the teachers and and who's serving those communities so yeah I think it's kind of still a very mixed picture maybe dependent on where you are but I suppose that's the whole point isn't it that actually at that level as CEOs or as boards it's having the self-awareness to know not everybody is going to be or look like or come from the same places we have and and actively being aware of that because if i kind of spend my spent my whole career just looking for people that had my experience then that wouldn't help um the communities that i was serving on the you know on the flip side so it's kind of having a really um strong understanding of the communities you're serving and then looking at if there are issues with any of you know um gender or female leaders not applying for posts or you know whatever the the issue might be knowing what the issue is in your organization and then actively taking action I still think there's quite a bit to do but as Alice said it's important to kind of recognize particularly the gender trend it it looks as though it's improving.
0: Mm. Great great stuff and um, so Alice maybe you could move on to some of the more challenging findings in the report
2: yeah, sure. and and I think the other thing, just just building really on what Nav said is is that you know we're not sugarcoating, I think what's going on. I just think sometimes you know you've got to acknowledge where progress is starting to be made, but I still definitely hear everything. Um, that Nav said, and, and some of those experiences resonate with me as well. You know, I've, I've felt those things mm. not just in education, but other sectors like policing. You know, when you walk into a room and it's all, you know, similar-looking people, and and you wonder where you belong. So I think really, really important to to listen to that side of things as well. Um, So some of the more challenging aspects that we um, identified through the report is that really people are feeling as though education as a sector doesn't feel very diverse. Um, Over 50% of the CEOs and aspiring CEOs uh, disagreed that education, uh, the education sector is an equal playing field for people like me. And 57% of the respondents agreed that there were still barriers in place to progression. Um, And that clearly shows that there's much more work that needs to be done to change this experience for people. Um, Another couple of interesting findings highlighting where some further work should be done. 65% of those who responded uh, confirmed that they have an equality, diversity, and inclusion strategy in place. But that leaves 35% who don't have one or were unsure as to whether they had one. So I suppose the question is, how are they measuring their success or their challenges on this? Um, So whilst it's great to hear a large proportion have the strategy in place, we do have to wonder why that 35% don't um, and how are they measuring their progress um, and how are they holding themselves to account and how is the community holding them to account on this as well. And then the final thing just just to mention, because I think this is quite an interesting one to draw out, is that people people generally found uh, the description of diversity much easier then describing how inclusivity feels Um, and I think this is a really interesting point to talk about because actually you could argue that whilst you can bring through diversity, if you don't have inclusivity in place, you're going to struggle to retain those people um, and so you lose them out the back door, as it were. Um, So I think this is a really important thing to explore more in future Um, and it also links, of course, to all the debates we have in education about creating a positive culture not just for the pupils but for the staff who work in the schools and trusts as well
0: thank you and yeah i think that's that's a really interesting that, that you're saying that um you know people understand diversity as a as a concept um but i think in, inclusion it seems it seems to me i'm just putting this out there is something that unless you have experienced feeling excluded or or as you were saying now feeling like the only person who who looks like you or, or is like you in in a room it is very difficult for you to get your head around what you might be doing that is excluding people and I, I, any 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 thoughts on that 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 just sort of seems to be my take on it
1: yeah you're absolutely right Caroline I saw um it reminds me of I don't know. Probably on Twitter, because Twitter's great for quotes. I saw something the other day, and it, it said, "Diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice, and belonging is having a voice that is heard." Oh, and yeah. it, that was really powerful. And I, uh, you know, and there's a lot around female voices, and you know, other quotes that I've seen about actually we do have voices. It's about the voice being heard. Um, and when you're navigating, I suppose all sorts of different things I think what you said is that actually if you've not experienced being excluded then that it's the awareness of that being your lived experience so nobody I suppose that's the bit that it's nobody's going to kind of be offended or upset by um the fact that you might not have been in that position but it's you having the awareness to say that and call it out and be aware that that's been your leadership journey or your experience but for others their lived experience um you know the the rooms they've been in the tables they've sat out they've had to navigate their way through and probably had a whole host of other things going on underneath um that they've been battling with working their way through before they've got to the position that they're in uh, or applied to the position that they're applying for so i, I think Yeah, and I think that often comes up with language as well, um, that people say, well, you know, I don't want to say anything because I'll get offended. But I think it's just about having the awareness. And I don't don't know. Yeah, it's just, and listening to people's stories, I think. So like you said, you know, if if you've not experienced, or if you have experienced what it's like to feel like making sure that that story is shared widely, because there might be somebody else across the organisation that's feeling the same way. Um, And that is something... When I speak to kind of, I suppose, leaders coming through, or when I've had the privilege of speaking at other events about leadership journeys and, and the stories behind it, that there is something that's always kind of at the end, if people want to come and talk to me. There is something definitely about how have you found your own how have you found your own voice in this space? How are you just still yourself? But you've got to that position because we we don't understand how that, so something about authenticity and the inclusiveness to feel that I can bring my whole self to work, it's not a um, professional side of me and then everything else, the other bit of, of Nav is closed off. Although I wouldn't say it's that straightforward and easy, and that's what I often say to them that actually it's taken years of me working on it, and I still probably do it to some respect, but now I know I've got a responsibility to model it to others, so it probably looks quite easy that oh she she's just herself or she knows who she is as a person, a leader, she's from London, she's got this, that and the other she you know, but actually when when she talks it she's kind of navigated that really well, but there's a lot that's gone on underneath that. But I think that's why it's then really important that we have podcasts like this, pieces of work, like what Forum Strategy are doing, because it is, as much as it's system level, I think first you connect through the heart, through individual stories, but actually the individual stories won't be enough on their own if we don't take, um, bring them together and make collective change as a system. But I, I think kind of at school level, I, I definitely, that's something that I would say that actually not worrying too much about offending, just starting conversations, um, asking people, do they feel included? How do you feel you can bring your whole self to work? And, and going from there. Can I Can I add to that now? Yeah. Um, Cause I, th- I think it's a really
2: interesting one. I think it's one we're all quite passionate about this, you know, sense of inclusivity and, and how much of a difference that makes. And I actually think, and I'm gonna put this out there, that everybody at some stage in their life has been excluded. You know, whatever your background, whatever, you know, your experiences, most people have been excluded. It's whether that's happened really often or whether that's something that's happened in your, you know, really distant past. So I think some of the key to this is getting people to put themselves back in those shoes Mm. and saying, you know, how you felt 10 years ago when you were excluded when this thing happened is how people are actually feeling now when they walk into a meeting, when they go for a job or whatever that might be. I think the way to get people to really connect with all of this, which is so important, is by tapping into personal experiences, as you've said. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what's what's interesting, and I used to work in corporate social responsibility, and a lot of the time we were making, you know, a very real business case for diversity to people. And for me, if we go back to that analogy of the table, so you might have ticked, done your diversity strategy or whatever, or feel like you've gotten a, a wide group of stakeholders together with their different viewpoints. But if those people around the table don't have, as you were saying, Nav, a voice to mm. express what they're that they're thinking, and your end product is not the sum of their diverse experience, it it won't be as good. And you know, you won't get the value there. So you're kind of doing half half of the piece and and not getting the 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 the, tr- the true value of that diverse experience if people don't feel comfortable and and don't feel in- included. Um yeah, and 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 just just kind of coming back to that to that language point, it really did come across in the research that this is that this is a barrier and it it you know it And it does seem like, you know, something that needs to be overcome that that people who haven't maybe haven't experienced discrimination or exclusion kind of go, oh, I don't you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. And if I use that term, everyone will think I'm racist or wrong or, you know, I don't. don't, And so I'll just leave it. And, you know, and I won't say anything, um, which is not the way that we're going to solve this problem. But what can we what can we do? What can we do to sort of get over this language
1: barrier? Yeah, I don't think there's, I think it's like um, with a lot of things, sometimes you see things on the media that these people have been offended by this. And I don't know how much of it actually is always truly accurate. Um, I think through actually even having just a conversation in your organization about, okay, even if you don't even know the language or what the right language is, creating a safe space, creating a safe psychological space for everybody in your organization to have those open conversations, it has to be the first step because people saying nothing or you know, stake, key stakeholders that are, are kind of working with the community day-to-day saying nothing because of fear of saying the wrong thing is actually worse in my opinion than saying something and I, you know, and the fact that you've even got that awareness of, I don't want to say the wrong thing, means that actually, generally, people are very understanding and forgiving and won't necessarily be offended. I, sometimes people ask me, oh, what do you want to be called? I don't really mind, just call me Nav. Um, you can say BAME, you can say this. You, there was something in the report about that, oh, you know, now um, that leaders maybe don't like to be called BAME. And it's probably an individual thing. I think, actually, for me personally, I'd much rather just have a conversation and even just someone t- to say, oh, how do you identify, or like how would you describe yourself? And then, you know, j- just so that you can build up that rapport and make it comfortable t- to speak about any language. And then maybe as an organization, deciding what that language means for you. So if you are whatever the, you know, what, what is your um definition of diversity? What is your definition of Um, equality what is your definition of fame what does that mean what does that look like if if it's um, various protected characteristics what are they that you've got to have the conversation in the first place to be able to overcome the barrier of the language otherwise everybody's just going to sit there silently and we're not going to get anywhere Um, and things like this I think are great for it just I suppose you know if there's people out there listening thinking oh yeah that's you know, I don't want to say anything because then I've said, or or that people might've had experiences where they've said something and then offended somebody. But again, if things are coming from a place of compassion and open-mindedness and wanting to learn and grow and self-awareness, people are also can be very forgiving as well. That that's my personal viewpoint. Not everybody will feel that way. And, but there isn't one definition. So if I, myself, would say I could describe myself in many different ways. Then they, you know, then if somebody else trying to do it, of course they might get it wrong, but that's okay because we're having the conversation. Uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I totally, totally, totally resonate with everything
2: that that Nav has said there, and and I actually would go so far as to say one of the biggest barriers to securing people's um, buy-in and actually commitment to this is the fear of saying the wrong thing. Um, And we have to be uh, more sophisticated, I think, in our thinking around it. You know, going back to what Nav said really around language versus intention, you know, we have to be able to differentiate between people who are actively discriminatory, abusive and cannot be tolerated and should be tackled versus those people who really have good intentions and want to support progress in this area, but perhaps don't have the right language or the right tools to do it yet we need to support those people not call them out and make them feel embarrassed which we see unfortunately I would say a lot of on social media uh, which just does not need to happen you know anybody who wants to support this and move things forwards should be encouraged um, regardless of the language that they're using and we should see it as an opportunity to educate people on the right language where they're perhaps not saying the right thing yeah that's
0: that's my view and and what's you know what strikes me is obviously language is something that evolves and and changes you know okay. we're all using words now that didn't exist maybe 10 years ago about all sorts of things um, so it's accepting that you know this might be the terminology that, it, that we're using now or you're using in this space but it, but it can but it can change that you mm. could that you can check in with people with individuals um, yeah. and respect the fact that maybe they don't want um, you know a particular characteristic being the only way you describe and talk about them yes. uh, yeah. because you know they're, they're, we're all we're all individuals and humans and kind of put people's humanity first and and that you know especially we're in school you think about if young people were using the wrong words we would just educate them so you know Mm -hmm. let's just let's just all learn learn together on that and let's not let language be that barrier um great yeah and i would
2: say as well caroline ironically when we start judging people and calling them out and embarrassing them over this sort of stuff we're doing the exact opposite of inclusivity that's what's so ironic about this for me that you see these sorts of attitudes you know sort of I'm right you're wrong and you're actually being very exclusive you know you're excluding people in the debate and and the movement forwards of stuff so we have to find a way to be inclusive um, while also as you say educating people.
0: Yes and we've talked quite generally um, about the sort of protected characteristics and the, the list that we'll we'll do a, a link to um, but in terms of the, the the focus group conversations and and the report as a whole which protected characteristics do we do we think kind of need more more focus and attention at this time
2: so so i would say the research hasn't really pinpointed mm. that per se um, because i think it's fair to say that some characteristics are, are a bit easier to collect data on Um, and therefore to kind of baseline with them others. Uh, For example, it's still quite challenging, I think, to get an accurate picture and baseline data for sexual orientation and disability. Mm. Um, I think the research probably highlighted to me the need for a large national body to take on the challenge of it um, and would require really a certain level of resource investment to develop and then collect a consistent data set. Um, but I know we'll talk about this probably a little bit later but I just think uh, the research um, collected a certain level of data which was useful but in order to really pinpoint where the main issues are you need a consistent data set otherwise you're just going with the ones where the data is is just easier to collect.
0: Yeah I was going to say could you tell us a little bit more about that kind of the the challenge of the of the the lack of data and what what data we, we maybe need to start kind of collecting and sharing
2: hmm. um so i'll, I'll start and now perhaps you can chip in on on your thoughts on this one as well so i mean obviously talking very specifically about ceo level in multi-academy trust because obviously that's where our focus is it's unbelievable to me that there's no nationally collected and analyzed diversity data for ceos there's nothing um so there's nothing really that tells us at a national level how the diversity picture looks um, and as i say although our work went some way to doing this we're of course a smaller company that's directly funded by our memberships and we don't have the resource or the funding or actually the remit and responsibility to collect this across all trusts on a regular basis so to be really specific about this my view is that the Department for Education is collecting school workforce data currently up to head teacher level um, and this should be expanded to go upwards of that to the level of CEO. Um, We all know the education landscape has changed and therefore shouldn't the data collection change to reflect that Um, and as far as I'm aware uh, where diversity data is collected even in the wider school workforce, it doesn't actually include all the protected characteristics under the Equality Act. So for me, as well as expanding the level at which the data is collected, I would also recommend it's collected across all the protected characteristics. And to be quite honest, if that doesn't happen, we have got no way to know nationally how the diversity looks at CEO level
0: across trusts. Indeed. Now, anything you'd like to add there?
1: No, just I would yeah, echo everything Alice said, um, hence me getting involved in this at the beginning and just thinking it was my lack of good Googling skills that meant I couldn't find <laughs> data on, um, you know, CEO representation. And, you know, that's the first stage because once we have the data, it's then what are we doing with it? And how can we use it to improve the picture? But if we don't have it, it, it does make it really challenging. Um, and also for, yeah, just, just what we were saying before about it being such an influential role in terms of shaping the organization and how children are, you know, how how it impacts on children, actually, at the end of it. That's the whole point. We want children to feel seen, not only through the visibility of the people around them, but through the curriculum, through the opportunities they have, through, how the community is raised around them, and a lot of that will be influenced by the culture, the ethos, and the makeup of the org- wider organisation. So, yeah, if you think about how many—I um, don't have this data. I'm sure Alice does, but actually, how many children are you know now attending schools that are part of a multi academy trust? We're, we're talking—you know—that that's a large number, and yeah, I would really—I mean. I just think it kind of is common sense that if we we're already accessing that data f- f- and central government have got you know the, the resources to do that, why are we not why are we not and that's the next step i think, and that was one of the recommend the key recommendations
0: mm-hmm. yeah definitely and it yeah it really um gives you that sense that um you know if you, if this is something that you're prioritizing um or or you know investing in, like we do need to have that that data to understand progress. And obviously this is this this piece of work has been a really useful um, start point. Um, but you know, as you've as you really clearly identified, we do need that data to go further. And moving on to some of the kind of recommendations or or potential solutions identified in 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 the report or any others you would like to propose how can we move the dial more quickly on some of these issues across the system? Uh, Nav, do you want to kick off?
1: Sure. Um, I think with anything, um, we've we read all of and heard all of the quote, quotes about culture and strategy. You know, it's that lived culture and the environment in the organisation that will make the biggest difference. So actually, you know, what Alice referred to earlier about um you know, ensuring it's a strategic priority in in organisations and it's everybody's responsibility. But I suppose if you are in the position of CEO or on the board, making sure that you're highlighting the importance by having it as a strategic priority, even if you're just at the beginning of that journey and it's got to span the next few years, there's no race around getting everything done and not feeling overwhelmed about that. I think particularly for me being a new CEO coming into an already existing organization, it's taken me a little while to work out what's happening. What have they done? That's been successful. What's working well and what isn't, but it's still formed very much our strategic plan, but I've kind of said, you know, this could be 12, 24, 36 months plus of work. It's not going to be an overnight um, it's not an overnight token, tokenistic fix. I think um, the board I've mentioned before, the importance of trust boards in thinking about actually the recruitment processes that, that you know, for CEO and others, but also policies and really looking at policies, not just policies on equality, diversity um, and inclusion, but looking at what that looks like across all of your other policies so you know an example, a key example being something like curriculum, because actually, in the curriculum implementation or how you embed curriculum across your schools, how does this fit into that, and how is it integral? It, it can't just sit in one policy separately, and then we tick everything off like you mentioned earlier, and and that piece of work's done. So I think um, that for me was very much key, and I suppose finally one of the things wider things that came through the focus groups, I think, was actually the entry into teaching and the diversity at that point. Because, yeah, it'd be really interesting to even look at the data um, and, and comparatively. So being an Asian British female CEO, compared to how many Asian British females are coming into teaching versus how many head teachers there are, what proportionately is it it looking like? Because that will then start telling us um, a bit more of a deeper um, analysis and, and a bit of a deeper picture about what's going on here. And I think one of the things that was coming out of the focus groups was very much that there's still not as many teachers coming into the system but then we do need to look at okay so the ones that are i suppose how many of those then do make it on to leadership positions and w- what are the challenges there but that was something that we that came up i think in um the focus groups i was in and in some of the other ones as well um and thinking about recruitment how are we targeting universities before people apply to to get into teaching or postgraduate what do our panels look like? Is there a diversity of lived experience there? So yeah, lots of kind of, there was lots of recommendations. I've just found it, you know, it's kind of can be quite overwhelming then about how much there is to do, but really pleased that we've got something like this that gives everybody a starting point to shape, okay, for my organization, what what's in my locus of control? Which bits can I influence while maybe we have to wait for the system or others to catch up?
0: Yeah, and I think it's what's really interesting there as well is is um as you're saying uh the board board is so pivotally Im- important there and also that it is not just those 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 policies or things where you immediately think oh diversity um element to it. Um, you know, particularly the kind of, you know, as you say curriculum, uh the full suite of kind of employment um and HR related policies where, you know, un unthinkingly uh, people may feel disadvantaged or excluded by by some of those. So yeah, I think and as you've said, um, this is not work that can be done overnight. Um, and, and, and sometimes, and, and also given, given the context we've been in with a lot of em, more immediate, um, strategic priorities and, and, and COVID and all of these other things, the important thing is that, that you start and you have a plan. Um, Absolutely. yeah, great. And, and Alice, is there anything you'd like to, to add there about, about, um, uh, potential, uh, recommendations and solutions?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, really, just to back up everything Nav has said, it's really important points there. And, and obviously, as we've said within the research, we split the recommendations between trust level and, and system level. So that that was an important differentiation, I think, to make. Um, one thing I would say about making this a strategic priority, I would also say it's a strategic enabler. You know, how can you achieve all the other things you need to do across a trust without thinking about equality, diversity and inclusion? You know, we picked up on a few points around recruitment, progression, even the curriculum and and the the students' experiences. So how can you do any of those things if you're not doing this stuff, really? So I think that that's the kind of language I would use around it. And and the other thing really is to think about it in its most holistic sense. You know, I've seen a lot of equality, diversity, inclusion work just look at recruitment, um, which only solves one tiny part of the issue. you've got to look at the whole thing from recruitment to retention to progression to exit the whole thing that we talk about in terms of you know really being an employer of choice what's what's the whole picture and then the other couple of things i would just mention is um don't flip between doing it and not doing it that that's what you see a lot of with this kind of work and i think is what stops real progression you know you make some progress with it and then something else comes along and takes priority and then you come back to it two years later and you know and you're starting from scratch again it has to be something that's continual um, and that you're constantly building on i think and, and it has to kind of stay there over time for it to be really successful and then the other final thing and, and i would say this given what forum strategy does but, but quite apart from this you know access to networks and other people who know what they're talking about in this respect is really important. Um, Nobody is expected to know everything about all of this. Uh, You're not expected to be an expert on it, but there are experts that you can tap into. Um, So making use of those networks and people who want to support on this, I think is, is really important.
0: Great. Is there anything else that either of you would like to share with our audience in closing? Nav, can I come to you?
1: course um I suppose for me the key things would be to keep to keep talking about it keep listening to podcasts like this one um following on from what Alice said keep broadening those networks putting ourselves in situations with people that we maybe don't have affinity with that are different from us schools and trusts that have you know um maybe a different contract context but actually what you coming back to what you said earlier Caroline we are all human beings first and through that we will find connection and things that you know bring us together and make this conversation one that hopefully we'll look back in 10 years time and just think oh I can't believe you know we were worried about all of those things because now it's just part of how organizations grow and flourish and it's just part and parcel of what we do um so yeah thank you so much for being able to share um, a little bit of this piece of work, but I also welcome in terms of my learning and growth, you know if there's anybody out there that's um you know got got things to share, just you know m- make sure that you make contact with either Caroline, Alice or myself because I'm really keen to learn from others as well.
0: Great, thank you very much, and Alice.
1: Yeah, I think just a, a
0: couple of last thoughts from me,
2: really. Um, I just think it's so important when we talk about diversity, equality, and inclusion that we understand it in its widest sense. Um, you know, it goes back to a point I suppose I made earlier about just focusing on a couple of specific characteristics, because that's where the data is. Um, for me, there's no hierarchy of characteristics. I think they're all really important and all really deserving of consideration in terms of representation. Um, so I do think we need to move away from telling ourselves that it's acceptable due to limited resource or funding that we can only focus on the characteristics where there is already clear data. I think we have to challenge ourselves when we're doing work in this space to do it in the widest sense um, and address those gaps where, where there might be data uh, gaps as it were. Um, the, the other thing I wanted to mention and really it does um, pull on some points that we discussed earlier is that really we have to pull together to make real progress on these issues. Um, We can't see it as a competition point or think that we need to call people out in an unnecessarily confrontational way uh, when we don't agree with how they're approaching their support of these issues. Uh, Really, I think these issues are far too important to be turning people away and thinking there's nothing more that they can bring to the table. Um, and, and it's like we said earlier, when people feel judged or constantly criticized, they lean away from it when we want them to feel valued and for them to lean into this work. Um, so the only reason I mentioned these two points in particular is that I fear that if we don't consider them, we're at risk of making work, which is supposed to be all about inclusion and respecting diversity of thought appear actually quite exclusive and unkind. Um, I think we're all stronger together and all voices that want to help progress it should be welcome. So I just I wanted to end on that because I do feel that that's some of the, the stuff that's stopping people being involved when they actually really want to and they've got a passion for it. Um, so really, as Nav said, anybody who wants to be involved, anyone who wants to reach out and work together on this, uh, please do get in touch. Thanks,
0: Caroline. Lovely. And we can make sure that happens. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to talk to us today and thank you very much for listening key voices is produced by the key giving education leaders the knowledge to act members of the key for school leaders can access hundreds of articles on the latest issues in education at the keysupport.com and please tell us what you think of the podcast rate review and subscribe or email me at caroline.doherty at the with your thoughts and suggestions